So we have been in a study of the book of Philemon. We pretty much have finished up the, the heart of the text. And I wanted to take this weekend and then next weekend, we're going to kind of talk about the whole, uh, some of the, um, what I would call social issues that Philemon doesn't deal with. How are we as Christians supposed to live in a culture where we have a voice? And we're gonna, so we're going to talk about that. But really today I want to talk about another piece of it. And it was one of the reasons I chose to do Philemon. Uh, you know, as, as the summer came out and, you know, you can't even call it racial tension anymore. It's beyond that. Uh, th- this idea of how do we get along, uh, you know, from white and black to white and Hispanic to black and Hispanic to all, of, you know, we could just go on and on and on. And how do we do this well? You know, you, you think of Philemon and he talks first of all about love and then the idea of reconciliation, which is I think something we're really going to have to work on when it comes to these issues because we can't go back and fix yesterday, right? But we've got to somehow come to this point of reconciliation, of acceptance, the idea that we are all uh, created in the image of God that every single person doesn't matter the color of your skin it doesn't matter where you are born doesn't matter what your native tongue is it doesn't matter what you do for a living it doesn't matter the amount of money you've got in a bank account for goodness sakes everybody has worth and value and how do we show that, that acceptance? And the last week, forgiveness, which I think is a, a big part. Because again, we can't go back and undo yesterday. But, and, and I would love to change America, right? That would, that would be great. I'm not sure we can do that. But my heart is, is okay, so how do we, how do we change Goodyear, right? How is, how is a church... Uh, in a culture with a lot of diversity, how do we do this well so that everybody who who comes to the party, you know, we talked about heaven where we know that, you know, this, there's going to be no hatred, there's going to be no bigotry, there's going to be no racism, right? We're all there. And we're supposed to be a little taste in heaven. So, you know, Philemon was a leader in the church in Colossae, most likely an elder. A lot of times people don't understand the whole idea of elders, but elders are, are godly men. The, the standards that are put in 1 Timothy and in Titus are really, really high. That we're supposed to, to be Christ's representatives to the church to give leadership to the church. They're ultimately the ones that stand. We think the Philemon was an elder at the church at Colossae. We have nine elders here at, at Desert Springs. I'm one of them, and then there are, are, are eight others. And I wanted to invite two of them up to this today to have a little bit of this conversation. So Quentin Britt, David Rayner are going to come up. The three of us uh, want to just kind of talk through this, this issue of how, how do we handle, how do, as Christians, should we view? These, these men, just like the other six that aren't up here, man, they're godly men. They're men, quite honestly, that I trust with, with my life. Uh, I would always go to battle, their, their heart for the Lord. And so I just thought, you all have heard from me. I thought it would be great to hear from them. Now, uh, Quentin, uh, he serves as a chaplain down at Good Sam, 
uh, hospital. So he, he's there, man, kind of in the trenches doing that kind of ministry. David works for Home Depot, runs a big warehouse that they have for them and done that for, for years. So I'm going to invite you, let's maybe we can move this out. Um, and of course, I know, the, I know these men well. Uh, in fact, David and I uh, had the opportunity of even going to Nicaragua uh, uh, together to kind of s- s- uh, search that out for be- when we're talking about maybe planting that church down there. So David, why don't you start, just give us an introduction, I mean, share your testimony, how you came to faith in Christ, maybe a little bit about your family so that people can get to know you a little bit. Okay, uh, so uh, I was born many years ago. Uh, Cruz and Maria Reyna, uh, of Hispanic or Mexican heritage, born in South Texas. And uh, ever since I can remember uh, being aware, uh, I was in church. My parents raised me in the church. So uh, that's all I've ever known. Uh, and, and, and you would think that that's a huge advantage, and I guess to a certain extent it is, but it also can be a disadvantage. And, and what I learned uh, in growing up in the church is that uh, until I came to the saving knowledge of Christ, I, I, was, I misunderstood what that really meant. Uh, but I grew up uh, number 11 of 12 kids, and uh, you have to live out your faith if you're going to raise 12 kids. So my parents certainly <laughs> did that. But uh, uh, probably when I got into my high school year, I'm sorry, my junior high years, uh, is when God really began to work in my heart. And at that point in time, there was just not a lot of opportunity in the little Hispanic church we were attending. So God led my brothers and sisters, uh, along with me, uh, to the white church. Now, uh, that's what we called it, because there was the, the white church, there was the black church, there was the Mexican church, there was the Korean church, and so forth and so on. So it wasn't necessarily derogatory, as much as that's just what we knew it as. So uh, ask that you not be offended by that. But uh, that's where we went because we knew there was opportunity. We knew there was organization. There were, there were many programs that they were offering there from uh, uh, junior high Sunday school classes to choir to mission trips. And, and what really attracted me was the fact that I could go on mission trips. And you know what? They were primarily going to Spanish-speaking uh, areas and I felt, well, man, I can really be of service there. I can really do some good. But again, I was operating out of, out of ignorance to a certain extent because I knew who Jesus was. I read all about him. I've heard all the stories. I've been through all those Sunday school lessons from kindergarten all the way up until that point. Uh, but I felt like I, I could really do some good, so there we went. And it was there when I was 15, uh, went on a youth retreat. And uh, it was during that retreat that I came to know Christ. You see, up until that point, I thought I was covered. I thought I was saved. Hey, my parents are Christians. I'm in. That's good. That's all I need to do. I thought because my parents lived a godly life, I didn't need to do anything more than just do some of those good works. And I was taken care of. I was part of heaven. But it was that night that I realized, as the speaker was talking about Jesus' crucifixion on the cross, that that wasn't so, that wasn't the case. I needed to, to, to find my own faith. And I did that night. So you see, we built a big campfire on top of this huge rock. And the fire was blazing, the speaker was speaking. And as he got to the point where Jesus died on the cross for my sin, 
All of a sudden, the fire exploded. Scared me to death. And my thought was, I got to do something now. Wonder if I could build a fire out here. I don't know. It was a great attention getter. Uh, but I knew then and there that I was going to die in my sin if I died that night or beyond. So I made my way away from that, from that group and, and uh, went over by a tree and, and just the Holy Spirit and I began to talk. And he convicted me. I, I, I confessed my sin. I repented of it. I asked Jesus to come into my life. And that's when I became a new creature. Hmm. And, and since that time, I've sought to really uh, learn and know God's word and, and seek godly wisdom from other believers and try to grow uh, in that knowledge and in that faith and in that wisdom. It wasn't long after that before God introduced me to a godly young woman and I married Robin. Um, we've been married for now 36 years and have uh, been fortunate enough to raise four children. Uh, we've got our eldest son who lives in New York City. Uh, we've got uh, a son and daughter-in-law that live in Boise, Idaho. And by the way, uh, they're going to give us our first grandchild. So we're glad yeah. to be part of the, uh, the grandparenting go. group. So what a blessing this year has been despite everything that's uh, occurred. have a daughter and son-in-law that live here in the Phoenix area, and my son-in-law serves at uh, Palm Valley. So what a blessing that has been. And then I've got my 24-year-old son still at home uh, going to school, and we're uh, uh, praying that he leaves soon. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll covet your prayers. But no, he, uh, God has brought a godly young woman into his life. And they are really speaking into each other spiritually and growing their relationship in the Lord. So we're really being blessed by uh, what God's done in the lives of our children. Yeah, cool. The, the, the grandchild piece is going to be really good. I'm looking it really forward to is. It. So Q, tell us your journey. All right. So I want to say, Dave, thanks for being in the G Club, brother. Right. Welcome. Yeah, Welcome. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. Well, mine's is uh, quite the opposite of David's. Uh, mine's wasn't quite uh, the straight line. It was more uh, chaotic. Uh, I was born in Washington, D.C. in the 1960s. Uh, during this time, uh, it was very uh, challenging at best. I mean, it, it was a lot of chaos. I mean, we went through the Martin Luther King's riots where they burned the city down. Uh, my family life, my mother and father divorced when I was uh, one years old, so I never seen them together. So I would, you know, on the weekends, it was either my father's house, my mother's house, and on the weekdays, I was in my... So everybody had different rules, so I had to come up under all of these different rules. One house or my aunt and uncle house during the week, I had to be in before the street lights come on. And then when I go to my dad's house, as long as I was with him, he was working, I could stay up, whatever, it didn't matter. Then when I went to my mother's house and I had my brothers, I had two other brothers because it was three of us, when I was over there with them, I could stay out as long as I was with them, and they were five years older than me, so I was doing stuff I probably ain't supposed to be doing. So uh, my life was chaotic. So it, it was a lot of chaos. Um, so coming up, I had to learn how to be, I guess you could say, self-autonomous. I had to sort of safeguard my own heart because I would go through this thing. Every week I would get ripped apart because I had to make a choice. And I wanted to, my family to be together, but that wasn't my choice. I, I wasn't asked how I lived it out. I had to live it out. So I had to start managing my own and making my own decisions and finding out how to do it. So to fast forward this a little bit uh, further, when I was with my dad sometimes, we would go to uh, his job. He was a custodian, the head worker, so they would have church yet, like we do now, how the church rent out the school and have it. So he would have, uh, it was a church there, and I went there, and I went had a Sunday school, and I went to the Sunday school. And I remember they were teaching a story, 
And at that time, uh, this, this was our PowerPoint then. At that time, uh, what was it? What, flannel? The flannel graph. I call it a felt, but a flannel. It does, same they had, thing, yeah. They had a flannel graph where they would talk about the character and then they stick it to the board. They put up a little donkey or a little, little sheep or something, <laughs> they stick it in. So they put up Enoch. Then she was explaining how he walked with God. And I was like, man, that's what I want to do. I want to walk with God. All that time I had this in my heart, and I may imagine I was a, uh, you know, I imagine, you know, 10, 11. You know, I wasn't that old. I'm still learning preteen, teen, in that time frame, growing up, trying to learn how to do it. But I always had the desire, I want to walk with God. I want him to talk to me. I want God to use me like he did Enoch. So to fast forward that, uh, I joined the Marine Corps. I didn't ask my family. I just joined and told my father, hey, I'm joining. I said, Dad, thank you. You raised me for 18 years. The rest of it is on me. So I didn't ever go back home. I mean, I mean, it wasn't bad. I think my family loved me. They did the best they could with what they had. But I wanted to go out and be my own. I had my, remember I said I started developing my own mind. So I joined the Marine Corps. And unbeknownst to me, that was the best thing that ever happened to me mm. because it taught me structure. It gave me discipline. It gave me that interracial where we talk about race. I learned how to see people differently. And what I found is that in there, some of my best Marines, some of my best friends was from the Midwest. Man, they were, I mean, because they had the farm, they knew how to do life. They, they could be trusted, you can give them responsibility. They understood, I mean, now, and I'm making this blanket statement, but that was my experience. They were great people, man, loving. So <clears throat> we get in there, I'm, I'm on the Marine Corps, and I was one that would volunteer for everything, because my goal was to get away from Washington. I, when I left there, I didn't want to go back. <laughs> I'm going to get away from there. So I said, I'm volunteering for everything, so I volunteered to go on a, a Mediterranean float. And uh, there you are for six months, and uh, I was stationed with Tank Battalion. And uh, on that ship, I got stationed on the Hermitage. I was the only one from that detachment to get assigned to that ship. So it was me, the, the, all of the attachments, equipment in the truck, and the trailer, and I had all that with me, and they were on another ship. So I didn't know what to do. At this time, I'm a young Marine, you know, Lance Corporal. I, I know nothing. So I'm sleeping in the truck. I was in there maybe at least three to four weeks, and they didn't even know I was on the ship <laughs> because I would just go to the chow hall, eat, come back, go sleep in the truck, use the restroom, whatever I had to do. But I went, my, my rack was the truck, so I slept in there. And during that time, thank God for the Gideon's Bible because that, they would have them in the military, those little pocket Bibles. They had the Gideon's Bible, and I made it a point to go in there, and I read it. I read it through. I read the gospel, and the reason why I did that because I was frustrated. Remember I told you I came from a, a background of chaos. Well, we're from D in D.C., the nation of Islam was a big thing, and they were preaching hate for the white people. White people are devils. They this, they that. I couldn't understand. I'm like, why would God create people that he hates? I mean, come on, this is God we're talking. It didn't make sense to me. And then on the other hand, I had the Jehovah's Witness trying to tell me that Jesus was just a good teacher. He just, somehow, I mean, man, I couldn't. So I didn't trust none of them. So I said, God, if you're going to show me, you're going to show me through here. If I don't get it here, because I, I didn't want to be betrayed again. Remember I told you about the, the family dynamic? I, couldn't, I needed something that I could trust that wouldn't change on me. So God showed me himself in the Gideon's Bible. So I went through it and they gave everything. So I, I got saved there while I was on the Mediterranean float doing that. So the fast forwarded, going through in the Marine Corps, I stayed in for 20 years. And that wasn't the plan. You know, it just kind of happened one year after another. So I stayed in. For 20 years, uh, I got uh, my first marriage was a divorce. I have two sons, Uriah and Darius. Uriah is now in the army. He's been in now for 16 years. I have my other son, Darius. Uh, he's down in Tucson. He does some things on YouTube. 
And my daughter Jada now is just starting her first year in uh, Cal Baptist. Uh, she just started this year, so she's going through her own challenges with the COVID and all of that, so she's learning how to do that. And through that time when Jada was born, her mother passed away about two weeks after. Jada was born on the 20th of November. Essie passed away on the 1st of December. So I went through that process of that, and then two years later, I met and married Lori. Uh, my wife now, we've been married now for 17 years. Yeah, cool. So one of the things that I have... Um, that I've struggled with in watching this debate, this, this discussion on racism is that it seems to me we, we all don't even have the same idea of what we're talking about. You know, when, when, when people try to describe it over here, this group's over here going, well, that's not racism, that's this and whatever. So I thought, you know, from your guys' perspective, how would you define it? And then did you see it? And if so, how did you see it in, in, in your life coming up? So, Q, we'll, we'll start with you. Okay, thanks. Uh, so, for me, I see racism is when one race sees themselves as superior and devalues the other race as inferior. So, it's when one lifts himself up or herself or themselves to a place that everyone else is less than human. And what I mean by that is, that can take multiple contexts. It can be systemic in a systematic way. It can be political. It can be economical. It can be agricultural, you know, the way we do things. That's how it's done. So they say, hey, we, we live here, and these people don't, they live down here. So it's a way of, 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 of separating. And, dis and so you devalue people that way. And so for me, I guess, uh, and, and I want to add this caveat too, racism can be overt or covert. It can be outwardly done where we just profess, hey, you don't belong here. Or it can be covert where they do it, they don't say it, but it make you feel it. You know, oh, well, I guess, I, you know, everybody else getting promoted and you don't get promoted. So, you know, that kind of thing. So, for me, uh, when we talk about racism in my life, I think one of the ways that was best displayed, or I could say was that I felt discriminated in, is being a young kid in Washington, D.C., in the inner city. Uh, me and the guys, we go out, we'd be playing Army, or, you know, you know, because we didn't have a Nintendo and Atari. Well, they don't even got Atari no more, do they? Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Wait, so, you know, I don't know about these games, but we didn't have all that stuff. So, we'd be outside playing Army and, and Cowboys and Indians, you know, make-believe and all that. And as we got older, you know, we'd be out playing and, and uh, the police would pull us over and have us put our hands on the car and search us down and we'd get in the car and then they'd take us over to an area and tell us to get out and somebody, I don't know who, but somebody, basically we were being profiled where they looked to see were we the ones that did the crime. And to make it so, so sad, here we are young kids, we didn't do nothing, we were just out playing. Now, I know the Miranda rights by heart and I've never been a police officer. I can tell, I, to this day, I can quote them. I know the Miranda rights because that, that's how often we got it done to us. And it's just because we, now, now again, remember I said overt or covert. I don't know whether we fit the description of the ones that they said did it or we were just in the area, but that made me feel discriminated. Why us? Why we ain't even doing, why we keep going down here? And you know what? At the end of the day, I thought, Lord, thank you. When I look back and mm. God's hand was on my life because all somebody had to do is misidentify and I wouldn't be here now. I would have been in jail for something I didn't do. Hmm. Yeah. David, so from your perspective, what would maybe you add or subtract from that? And 
you know, how did, how did you face it, Hispanic growing up in Texas? Well, uh, a lot of what I saw would fall into the category of covert, uh, because a lot of it uh, that I encountered, I had to make a determination of was it really what I thought it was. But I would define uh, that it's not only a prejudice or a discrimination against a particular group based on their race or maybe even their, uh, uh, where they are on the financial spectrum. Uh, but I would also say acts with antagonism against that group. Because it's typically the acts that validate or verify how they really believe and how they really feel about that particular group. But in order to be that, you must have an air of superiority about your own self, about your own race, or about your own financial situation, or whatever the, the issue might be in your heart. Uh, but where did you get that? Where does that come from? It certainly didn't come from being a follower of Christ. So that had to come from something other than Christ. Uh, so my experience has been more covertly, and I've had to make determinations. It's come more in the form of uh, ethnic jokes, things of that nature. And, and there was quite a few I laughed at because they were funny, because I could identify to a certain extent or even within my culture. But, you know, as a, as a, as a believer in Christ, I knew in my heart that was wrong, and the Holy Spirit really dealt with me about that. And, and I had to get to a point that I had to summon up the courage to tell those folks, hey, I don't appreciate that because really you're not edifying me as a brother in Christ. Uh, I know it, it, what you think it, you're doing is harmless, but it really isn't because what you're doing is singling out a group of people mm -hmm. and you're choosing to uh, ridicule them. Uh, it took me a while to do that because, A, I was immature, still growing in my faith, seeking to understand what that was really all about, and I wanted to fit in. Yeah, remember I said I left the Hispanic church and went to the, the white Anglo church, but I wanted to fit in too, so I didn't really care to make waves at that time, but in over time, the Holy Spirit really began to do with my heart about that. And I had to come to uh, a decision and, and dealt with it accordingly and so forth and so on. So now you grew up in the church, and of course that's really why I wanted to, to talk about this, is that, you know, my heart is that from a church perspective, we're, we are that little taste of heaven. So did you see it in the church? And if so, how, how did you experience it? Was it more... Uh, covert and overt, all that type of thing. Uh, I did, and, and it was more covert. Uh, uh, there was one occasion where it was overt uh, that I can definitely speak to, but, uh, you know, I served in the church uh, in, in many different positions, including leadership. Uh, I served as a deacon in the Baptist churches where I uh, attended. And, and certainly there was an underlying current amongst some of those guys, but... Uh, I think back of a particular example, uh, Robin and I, she's white by the way, uh, volunteered to teach Sunday school, and we taught youth Sunday school, and uh, we took on the uh, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and, and really felt like we could share not only the gospel and, and God's word with them, but we could also address some of the uh, issues of the day. Uh, and even though during that time, racial tension was not as it is today, it was still a topic, it was still an issue. So we chose to go ahead and uh, do a Sunday school lesson on race. And uh, as I got up there and uh, began to talk and got into the narrative of the lesson, and, and I addressed it quickly that uh, what God's position is on race. 
And it wasn't long into that, maybe two or three minutes, where a young man stood up in the back and pointed his finger right at me and said, God does not appreciate or does not approve of racial marriages. Well, I looked at him and I said, okay, <laughs> let's take it from there. And uh, asked him, I said, where did you get your information? Where in God's word did you read that? Because I need to go find that passage too. Because I don't, I've never come across it. I need to understand where you're coming from. And oh, by the way, what about me? See, my wife over here, she's white. I'm, I'm, I'm full-blooded Mexican. What about us? Well, he, he, he put his finger down and, and pulled back a little bit and said, well, wait a minute. Now, you guys are okay. Well, thank you. You guys are okay because, see, you're close enough in, in tones of your skin and your color so you'll so be okay. As, as the white guy, I've, I've heard this story now four times on the stage, and it makes me cringe every time. Now, how, how can people think like that, especially from a biblical perspective? Man. And, and that was one of the questions rolling around in my mind as well. But, you know, it, this needed to be treated with, with a, a seriousness and authenticity. And, and it needed to come from God's word, not from my opinion or, or, or my perspective necessarily. So when he said that, I said, okay, well, thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> Glad I'm accepted. But uh, that really doesn't address the issue. Uh, I asked him too, then how do you reconcile in God's word Moses' uh, wife, his relationship with Zipporah? You know, she was a Midianite. They were of dark-skinned people, okay? At least that's where their descendants is from. So as I recall, uh, his sister Miriam and brother Aaron were, got in a little bit of trouble over some of what they were saying about her, okay? And, and then how do you reconcile the words of Paul when he says we are all part of one body? We all serve one master and one Lord, and that's Jesus. So those two can't be true. Mm. One can be true, the other one is not. So we challenged him in that. He, he actually sat back and listened and sought to understand a little bit more. And, and Robin and I were able to, during the rest of that year, minister to this young man and graduated, left town, and, don't know, and we've not had contact with him since. But, you know, my prayer is that at some point in his life, he reconciled that and, and understood that we are all, all our identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. Mm. Everything we do is about Jesus. Yeah. And so... So I said, you know, I, I, I sit here, I, I certainly have not had to face it, uh, but I heard that story. Then it was interesting, last night after this one service, um, a guy of color came up, and we're, we're pretty good friends uh, already, but she said, you know, growing up in the church, uh, she, she had actually had had uh, the N-word used towards her within the context of the church, you know, within brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and uh, you know, it's just, it's so hard for me to, to understand and, and to conceptually go, how, how can that happen? How can that happen within a, a community where the truth of how we are all accepted in Christ, it just, it breaks my heart. And I think it's part of why it's important to, you know, to listen and, and to go, okay, so how can we, we move forward? So, so Q, you're, you're a little different because you jumped into the church later on in life. You had already kind of started uh, uh, 
you, know, you were already uh, an adult, and so you kind of jumped in, but then, you know, you've gone and gotten theological training, and you've also been in leadership in the church, so have, have you seen it within the church family and, and all of that, and if so, what does that look like? So for me, uh, again, uh, like David, mine was a little different. Um, I did not necessarily uh, experience that because before I joined the Marine Corps, being in Washington, again, they used to call it Chocolate City because it was predominantly black at the time. So most of the churches I went to was like begat like. We were amongst each other, and that was what we knew. I didn't know no more than what I knew. So you don't know what you don't know. So that was the case, and only when I joined the Marine Corps did I experience the, um, the interracial and the mixture of stuff because there, wherever I got stationed at a, at a duty station, I went wherever I could go. So what it exposed me to is the different theological tensions that exist within the body of faith. And so I went to Pentecostal, I went to the Church of God in Christ, I went to the Church of Christ, you know, I went to wherever it was, I went. I went to the chapel, I went anywhere I could go because my focus and my concern was Christ. I wanted to grow. So I couldn't stay back because I knew if I started doing that, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go back to what I was doing. So I was trying everything I could to stay connected and none of those things, but it also brought a lot of questions, which presupposes what the pastor brought out is why I went to, went to seminary, because I got sick and tired of listening to them, and I wanted to learn for myself. So that was the way I got to learn how to do that, because I wanted to know the truth for myself, because I got frustrated with it. So, but for me, um, I can't say that I've experienced it within the church, and even being uh, amongst uh, a church like this that's integrated, well, for me, I've never asked or sought positions. I've always felt that what I needed to do is to do the work and do God's work, and if he want me to have it, he'll make room for me. Hmm. And so every position that I've had by God's grace, he's always elevated. I didn't go vote for it. I didn't get in line. I didn't say, let me do it. I don't ask nothing. He lifts me up. So I just try to stay humble before God and allow him to decide how that looks. Almost like scripture, humble yourself before the Lord. He'll exalt yes, you sir. in time. Yes, sir. So you both are elders. You're both very godly men. Uh, you know, I have the opportunity of kind of being the preaching elder, right? So uh, my heart of wanting to have you guys up here was for you to be able to speak to these things. So uh, what I want to do is I kind of just want to give it to you for a couple minutes to say, okay, so as a church, how do we need to think? How do we do this better? How do we become this place where everybody who walks in here, no matter the color of their skin or their their native tongue, no matter, you know, where they're at on the economic scale, man, that they are loved and accepted, that this is that little place, this little taste of heaven. What would God lay upon your heart to share with us as a church? So Q, I'll let you go, and then David, right. you can follow it up. Hey, thanks for that. This is the time of the service I've been waiting for, right here, right now. This is it. I tell you what, I thank God because I believe that when God wrote the word, he did it completely. He made it so as that there's nothing new under the sun, nothing's going on that he hasn't prepared us for. And I believe the answer is fellowship. It's fellowship. It's first how we fellowship with God, being in the right spirit and the right relationship. By doing that, God fills us, which gives us the capacity to love others correctly. Now, Remember, Jesus gave us these same two commandments, and that's what John is echoing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And he said, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, if you do these two things, you fulfill all of the law. 
What John is doing actually is saying to be obedient to that, he made one commandment. If you have the right fellowship with God and we're in right relationship, we have the capacity to love others as we love God. And where did he get it from? Genesis. It all ties back to Genesis. Genesis 1 through 11 gives us the foundation to answer every social problem we have right now. It identifies all of the stuff we're regurgitating now, questioning it all. Genesis 1 through 11. And the one I want to bring to your attention this morning is Genesis 1. The record says, let us create man in our image. Imago Dei. What happens here is God is the one that placed value on each one of us. Technically, you could say that all of us are brothers and sisters. Amen. Amen. The word is true. We all came from Adam and Eve. So how can we do this? It's a lie from the enemy. So what we let, now let's, let's peel it back one more layer. What we're really dealing with, and we don't even use the word no more, for whatever reason, is sin. That's what's going on. We're sinning when we do that. We sin when we put someone else there. Why? Because if you're doing, it to, you're doing it to that person, you're doing it to God. We're made in his image. That's why we have to love that way. It all goes together when we look at Scripture completely. So now when we fast forward this and go to the New Testament, Jesus said, it's by this that all men will know you are my disciples. What? That we have love one for the other. Then John echoes it again in John 4.20. He said, how can we love a God who we have not seen and hate the brother that we see? Do y'all see how it all fits together? That will take, see, I believe that belief determines behavior. What we believe is how we act. If we believe the word of God is true, then we'll act accordingly. We'll live out those truths. See, because at the end of the day, I'm not a complex man. I try to keep it simple because I want to obey. If I make it hard, it's hard to remember. You probably won't do it. But we're really fighting two things. One is spiritual warfare. Mm -hmm. And where this lands at is this. This is how this is happening. We got two things. We either believe what God said is true or we believe what man said is true. Now, you can put any kind of tent you want to put in there. You follow what I'm saying? You can put whether you say black lives matter, all lives matter, da-da-da-da, whatever you put in there. That's our interpretation of it. But they never mention God. So I'm asking you today, read 1 John, the chapter first. read the whole thing. Because he talks about how we fellowship. Because that was addressing the same type of issues where believers was given false doctrine, cultural shifts that was going on, and it also questioned the finished work of Christ. That's where we are today. We're that body now. This is our part to do now. That's what I would like to leave you with is fellowship. Mm. How do we fellowship in a way that we can change hearts and minds by what they believe, by what they see in us to see Christ? Mm. Yeah, very good. David. <laughs> well, I definitely can't follow that, but I'm definitely going to add to it. Uh, our identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. And that's what we ought to live. You see, no matter what background we have, what family you were born into, what culture you come from, what church you've attended, we are all one in Christ. Our identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. That's it. We are not of this world. 
We are all aliens here, every one of us. And we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what God's word teaches. We were made in God's image. And, and that is something that we can all identify with if you're in Christ. So that would be my message. Everything we do, we do because it's Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He's the answer Amen. to that problem. And you know what? If we accepted that and took that within our hearts, a lot of these issues would go away naturally. And it, it, it's, it's not, it wouldn't be left up to our politicians, right. uh, to our own ideals or ideas on what ought to be and what ought not to be. Uh, it is taken care of in God's word, and we just need to live our lives as, as Christ uh, patterned for us. Now, I also like what uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3. He said... Uh, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Mm -hmm. That's who we are. That's who we belong to. That is our identity. My parents walked the talk. They patterned for me what that life should look like. And they showed me that no matter what the culture is, I belong to God. I, I am his. I am paid for by, a, by the price that Jesus paid on the cross for me and my sin. That's why I can uh, be a member of whatever fellowship, whatever church. It never bothered me to, to sit in a Hispanic church or a, a white Anglo church or even attend a black church for funerals and weddings that I often attended from friends that I knew. Because we were all of one fellowship, of one mind. And that's what's important to know and understand. Uh, he also, in, in verse 15, goes on to say, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. One body, that's what we are. These guys are my brothers from other mothers. <laughs> but we have the same Heavenly Father. That's right, yeah. We all do. Every one of us. You are my brothers and my sisters. I am your brother. In Christ and that's what we share that's our common bond and that's how we ought to live and that's how we ought to treat each other and by the way that's how we ought to treat those that are not saved because we need to show Christ yeah. to those yeah. folk I truly believe we have the opportunity to to be that little touch of heaven here on earth by the way that we love each other by the way that we accept by the way that we are you know hands and feet of Jesus um, I also think that we always think of these things from our perspective. I've learned things listening to these men. I've learned things and having, you know, things that I would have swore would have never have happened. And I've heard the stories of how they've happened. And though I've not experienced it, doesn't mean it's not true. And, and so this is where I think We have the opportunity to truly be the hands and feet of Jesus when we enter into fellowship and we listen. And though, again, we can't go back to yesterday and fix, but, but we can help heal, right? Mm -hmm. We can show the empathy. We can show the sympathy. We can hurt with those that hurt, weep with those that weep, Rejoice with those that rejoice. That's what we're called to do. And 
There's, there's an intentionality that goes to that that is tied to our position in Christ that we are not black and white. We are not Hispanic and white. We are not uh, Jew and Gentile or bond and free. We, we, our identity is we stand in Jesus. We are brothers and sisters. And so to, to listen and to love and I was thinking, okay, so how do, we, how do we end this thing, right? And I thought, well, probably no better way than as a community, because there's no other place we see our identity in Christ and our sameness as in communion, right? Because at the cross, we're all the same. We are sinners that were in need of grace, and today we've experienced it. So uh, if you haven't done these things, the little purple tab will get you to the bread, the silver tab will get you to the juice, and if you go to the juice first, you probably will never get to the bread. Uh, just <laughs> learn that. And what I've asked is I've asked Quentin to just share a little bit about the bread, to prepare our hearts, lead us in taking it. David, about the juice, lead us in taking it. And then I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to finish with some, a little worship this morning. But let's, let's be mindful of the oneness that we have in Christ. Quentin? On the night Jesus was betrayed, he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as we do it, we're to do it in remembrance of him. I would encourage everyone to be introspective now to think about the price that was paid to allow each one of us to be called into the body now of Christ, which is the church, which is who we are today. Think about the suffering and all that he went through for us to have this privilege. Mm. And further think about that that should inspire us to be obedient and to follow him with everything we have yeah. because he gave all he had that we could have this right. Amen. Let us eat. Amen. You know, God's word said that uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no payment for sin. Jesus chose to be that perfect sacrifice. He chose to be that pure lamb that came to be that sacrifice for our behalf. That in order to do that, had to shed his blood. And even we see him praying in the garden, how he's sweating drops of blood because of the intensity of what he's about to undergo. But he did it for you, he did it for me. And that's why that night, uh, he talked to the disciples and told them, this cup represents the new covenant. And that new covenant, under his shedding of his blood, uh, it's what gives us eternal life. So uh, we do this to remember uh, what he did on the cross on our behalf. So you might drink the cup. Lord Jesus, Lord, my, my heart is heavy uh, as we just think of, Lord, of, of what sin has played out since the beginning of time, the marginalizing of people, hatred, bigotry, racism, slavery. And Lord, it all, it all is a part of what the enemy is doing to attack what you created, and that is man made in your image. And Father, we, we confess that we're not perfect in this, 
But Father, our heart's desire is that we want, we want to, to live and to be like Jesus in this. Lord, my prayer is, is that for Desert Springs, that we could be a community of, of believers that is known that you can go there, it doesn't matter how you're dressed, it doesn't matter your economic status in life, what you do for a living, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter what your native tongue is. It just doesn't matter. Because that is the place where they see you as a child of God, as one created in the image of God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be intentional to listen to love Lord I, I have learned that there are people that are carrying wounds that sometimes have been inflicted by your people Lord Lord may you make us your hands and feet of reconciliation of healing Lord would you give us who maybe have not faced this who have not had to deal with this, Lord, a sympathetic, an empathetic heart. Lord, that we, we can do, Lord, what you did uh, to the lepers that nobody was willing to touch. Lord, you touched them. You heard their stories. You cared. You ministered to their needs. Father, we thank you for the identity that we have in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that we can build our life upon you, your word, your truth. Lord, we don't have to listen to the world's sense of truth, but we can stand on your truth. Help us to build our life in you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.